Hello, and welcome to Missing an Audience. In each episode, a different guest from the arts world will talk about how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected their practice, how they see things changing going forwards, and about their memories of being part of or creating for audiences. Our aim with this podcast is to hear from and reach as many different people working or studying in the arts as possible, to connect over what we miss and have lost, what we have to look forward to, and what needs to change. We also hope to spread awareness of charities or arts groups struggling at this time. We need the arts, and we need audiences. Culture is for entertainment, protest, education, therapy, employment, inspiration and connection. It must survive. Our guest today is designer Grace Smart. The winner of the 2015 Lindbury Prize for her work on Jimmy Fay's production of St. Joan at the Lyric Theatre in Belfast, Grace has credits spanning the length and breadth of the UK, designing for West End, Fringe, open air, studio and main house spaces. Alongside her work for the Trafalgar Studios, The Globe, Styx and the Royal Court, she has collaborated on numerous occasions with regional venues such as the Nottingham Playhouse, Leicester Curve, Hull Truck and Sheffield's Theatre Delhi. Some of her past productions include My Beautiful Laundrette, One Night in Miami, The End of History, Killer Joe, Memoirs of an Asian Football Casual, Shabin, Normal, Blasted, and East is East. Grace is also a regular columnist for the stage. This episode contains brief, strong language. Hello, I'm Jake Leonard, the creator and host of this podcast, and I'm a freelance theatre director. So, Grace, thanks very much for joining us. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm quite warm. Apologies if anyone can hear my handheld fan that I'm wafting myself with. It's <laughs> really hot. <laughs> I've mainly recently been working with the lovely guys at Scene Change, wrapping theatres in lots of barrier tape, which was good fun. It started out as a group of 14 of the kind of, and I know this is growth, but the top designers in the country, basically. And, and I know that that is inherently hierarchical, but maybe we need to acknowledge that structure to come anywhere near making it less hierarchical. So yeah, I mean, we're talking all of the kind of big designers for the National and Olivier Award winners and West End and Broadway and really talented group of designers. And they got together and decided that now was the perfect opportunity to look at what is wrong with the way designers operate in their jobs, what is wrong with the way that the industry views designers, set and costume designers, we're trying to right some of those wrongs and discrepancies. Then they've opened that up. So now there's, I think there's about 2,000 scene changes registered on the website. Not all designers, some are directors, uh, some production manager. I mean, every possible job under the sun. That Because that's the other reason that designers are so brilliant, um, well, are so well-placed to do this is because we're one of the few people on a creative team or in general in theatre who literally works with every single member of a show's team and quite closely. We work very closely with the actors, very closely with the directors, very closely with the costume designers, the lighting designers. Literally, it sounds like every single job interacts. 
So we're, we're perfectly versed in the art of collaboration, as well as making sure that our point and artistic vision is heard. But I guess as well that designers, uh, and I don't think this is something that, yeah, this sounds great as well, but people who aren't in the industry, I don't think this is something that they would necessarily appreciate. But designers are there at every stage of the process with a show, like from the beginning to the end, which actually for a lot of roles isn't the case because, you know, you come and you do your bit and then you go away again, but designers are there the whole way through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with the second lead creative on on a show and the director has a lot of other stuff to worry about so when it comes to actually kind of being involved in the process but yeah we're there at the start we do a lot of the heavy lifting and we also are versed in artistic vision as well as practical problem solving so we're we're, we're the joiner between those two aspects of making a theatre show which I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand that there's a kind of idea that design is about reading a play and just very accurately either very accurately putting that Oscar Wilde room on stage or doing something pretty being a designer is neither of those things it's about dramaturgy and preconceived notions that I can draw upon to make you feel certain things you know Red makes us angry and passionate as a basic level thing. And so every single part of a design from the overall image down to the toothbrush has been picked because it is doing something deliberate to you, the audience member. You were talking about designers and people not quite appreciating that it's, it's, it's a, it's, there's a practical element to it. It's not just making things look pretty and being artistic. And I think that's sort of a general misconception that people have about any, any kind of art form. It is that it's it's not just yes it is an art form but it's it's also a craft there's a lot of nuts and bolts to consider in order for just for something to look pretty or for you know completely yeah there's the practical side of it but also i think looking pretty isn't even the aim at the end of the, no. you know so looking pretty is huge i mean <laughs> looking through my own portfolio i'm quite averse to anything looking pretty it <laughs> But yes, completely. It's a, it's a craft and it's a, it's a, it involves a lot of training. You, know, you have to be able to make a model. You have to be able to use vector works. You have to be able to um, read and, and annotate a script quite quickly. And so there is a skill set around it. There's a huge problem within design, as I imagine there is among a lot of the disciplines within our industry, but it feels... And so I can only really talk about it from my perspective as a designer, but it does feel like it's slightly compacted by, and I, and I will say this, I think it's a slightly gendered issue around design. So design is one of the few roles where it's in theater, where it's nearing 50-50 designer, uh, 50-50 male, female, um, specifically those two genders mix. I haven't seen anything with any other genders involved, any statistics, I should say. And, but what's interesting about that is if you work your way up the various levels, the balance is hugely shifted. So when in graduating classes, in, you know, you go to any design course now and look around the room. At my design course, for example, there were 16 of us, there was one boy, right? And, and, and that is generally the case across a lot of design courses in the country. Then you move up to sort of the next level, having graduated the assistant level, slightly more boys have survived and the further up we go the less and less we see women to the top point of if you look at Olivier Award nominees every year it's still pretty good I mean it's better than directing there are more 
top dog designer women, but it's it considering how many women start out as designers, it's a really slightly icky thing that happens. And I think that's also because of the nature and the way we see wardrobe and costume. We have some of the best male costume designers in the world. And that is also because they are given much more credence if they are a man interested in costume than if you're a woman interested in costume or interested in design or anything arty. It's immediately considered that the man will be better at it because he must really, really, really want to do it. In, in countries all around Europe, they separate out set and costume design so that there's mm. two designers on every job, which I would also say would be a great thing for theatres to do when we go back to working because we can employ more freelancers that way. I did the costume design for Shopping and Fucking at the Lyric Hammersmith with John Borzer doing the set design. And that was a really great way of me to learn a building and come in quite young and, and be on the same level as a huge amount of well-respected designers and creative team members. Anyway, so in Europe, that's the model that they always have. In this country, we combine the role. Part of that is because a lot of designers don't just want to do costume design because it's somehow considered the kid sister of set design. Set design is where you have the big weighty ideas, where you're uh, considered generally a, a very well-renowned artist. We know a lot of set designers who we think are really cool and influential in the industry, whereas costume design is the kiddie sister. And it's, again, because it's a gendered role. Set design is about building. It's about working with builders and building big things out of wood and having really good conceptual ideas. Whereas costume design, you know, wardrobe departments are primarily female. You go into them and you, you sit there and do a nice bit of hand sewing. And that's the way that we perceive those two roles. And I think that's, there's something really wrong with that. I think there's, there's a few really easy changes that we could make around the way that we view, again, a view designers. At the moment, because designers are trying to work so hard to prove themselves, which I'm sure a lot of people in the industry are doing, there's a conveyor belt of theatres that you graduate from. You know, you do your time in the fringe, and then you'll do a show, you know, you'll do a regional production in the, in the studio space, and then you'll do a regional production in the main house space. And there's a real conveyor belt of how that structure works. And mm. actually, it means that you can't then go back in lifestyle. Mm. Obviously, it's a useful thing to get younger design. So there is an avenue up a sort of ladder. But wouldn't it be more interesting, especially if we're returning, we need to support our emerging talent more now than ever. If instead, if we had, you know, Ez Devlin designing a show at Camden People's Theatre, and we had a, a fresh graduate designing a main house show at the Dorfman. I think that would be something really exciting about that. And it would change the, the pay structure and the fee structure because it would mean that we'd have to find a way of leveling out the paying field so that it's not, you're getting 200 pound for one show as a fee mm. and you're getting 25 grand for another show as a fee to do much less work and not make the set yourself. But also, as you say, it would be a great way of breaking down the way that people see different types of theatre. You know, some people would look at fringe theatre as lesser than a main house show somewhere like the National or the Donmar Warehouse or something. and Or, or they'd look at regional sh uh, theatre shows as lesser than London theatre shows. And the truth is that they're not. If we could solve that, it would change the way we structure the hierarchy and the whole system in general. It would be so much more opened up. There's no logic behind it, but I found myself in the past going, well, if I take that show, then that's a step backwards in my, 
people will think yeah. I'm more, I'm going backwards as opposed to moving constantly forward like a shark that's going to die at any moment. That's how we view all of our careers. And that's, um, yeah, incredibly depressing. <laughs> You've been doing the assisting rounds for a while now. And there must be that same thing where you're going, I now have to assist for a director that's ever so slightly better than the one before, that's slightly better than yeah. the one, you know, on the lead table. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely like that. But also it's no one really gives a shit about the assistant director or what the assistant director thinks, which is not good because the assistant director is actually the one that like they may not get to be the most active or vocal in the rehearsal room or something. But in a way, they're sort of soaking up everything that's going on. And they're the kind of conduit between the cast and the director or the creative team and the director or whatever. If you know things happen during the run or during the rehearsals or during tech or whatever and you know the amount of jobs that you apply for as a director and they sort of say your directing credits have to include a three-week run of a show um says that on the yeah and there'll be some there'll be some applications where you, you go for it and it'll say we won't count directing credits if they are not this criteria um and that's that that's really exclusive because what it means is it's basically saying that if you direct something at a small fringe theater um that's only on for a couple of nights or only on for a week because you're self-funding it and that's the only way you could afford it or that's just because that's the model that that fringe theater has they don't have shows that have three week run you're discounting that and you're saying that's not directing really interesting um, because i would say that you know it's it's really good when the whole everyone on a production is great but essentially, if you've got a really great assistant director, really great stage manager, and really great production manager, those are the three key jobs at the, at the heart of any of the great shows you've ever seen. To go back, sorry, to, to claw it back to design. No, 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 God, absolutely. Almost every show I've, I've ever done has had an assistant director, had someone in the room learning the craft from the director, and is such a useful tool for us all you know such a useful important person as i was just saying mm. why why can't we get it so that every show has an assistant designer who is assigned to that show mm. and and is working with the uh, assistant director you know i did um friend of the podcast james phillips one of my first jobs paid jobs was assisting on his production of mcqueen and uh, mm. where the assistant director was emma baggett this was a good few years back who I now have been working with my entire career. We're setting up relationships by making sure that we are using every possible job title to get in young people and emerging talent so they can start bloody climbing up the sodding... custom <laughs> 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 hierarchical ladder that we've just been describing. But also, you know, it's so hard for directors and designers to meet each other when you're first starting out. So it's another way of, of bringing that together. Well, funnily enough, White Card Collective, they're basically doing a very similar thing to, see, to what we're doing at Scene Change, but specifically aimed at more uh, early career level designers. So people who have just graduated, who are obviously going to be hugely hit by COVID. Yeah. They've also, they've set up regular Zoom meetings of like speed dating with directors and designers where people can just connect such a good idea, right? Why haven't yeah. we been doing this for years? Just, just connecting young designers and directors, throwing them into a big mixing pot together. The other potential option of, in all of this is that every theatre has a resident designer who assists on all of the shows and does one show themselves, like the RSC model used to be. And they learn the ins and outs of the building 
and they have to move on after a year and it becomes something where a bit like what the Limbury Prize does so brilliantly, where you're connected to a theatre through that prize, every person, you go, oh, who, um, Grace Smart, she seems like a really cool, hip-happening person, says, says words like hip-happening. Where's she based? Oh, she's currently doing a year at Leicester Curve. Oh, brilliant. You know, it, there's a person that, it gives them a productivity and mm. practical learning that we can then take forward, like apprenticeships do. Yeah. Exactly. And th- there are schemes like that for uh, directors and composers. So why not designers? Exactly. Exactly, Jake. <laughs> exactly. One of the other things to talk about on the podcast is audience experiences and sort of significant memories or amusing memories that people have of be- either being in audiences or an audience reacting to something that they've created. I've had a few faintings in various shows. This is the kind of, you know, romanticised view of audience participation I'm sure you were looking for. <laughs> There's a show last year at the Globe where uh, Henry VI, which we compacted into one mega show. Yeah, there was a bit in that. We just made it as vicious and as bloody and disgusting. And we there was a point in rehearsals where we all decided that we we really disliked sort of stage fight because we did it in the Sam Wanamaker Playhouse, which is the audience are on top. I mean, they're literally as close as I am to this laptop. So you can't get away with anything. So what we, what we decided was, what is the, what's the weirdest ways we can kill people? So what we did, there was a day where I went down to the prop store in the Globe with a big rack and filled it with every item that I would grab if the zombie apocalypse happened and I needed a weapon. So we had pool cues, um, a prosthetic leg, had this big, heavy, like, Jesus statue, which I thought you could do some damage with. And we put them all on this rack. This is getting to an audience experience, I promise. And just let the actors kill each other over and over and over again. And it was such a joy. And almost, and I guess that is in itself an audience experience, because I was sat there like, this is, I'm just getting to see this weird improvised show that no one else is ever going to get to see. Anyway, there was one night where an audience member thought, found it a bit too much. And it's horrible because you're worried, obviously, about the audience member. And we're in previews and I'm sat in the top row of the Sam Wanamaker looking across at the director and we're both looking at each other really worried. There is a small part of you. It's like, that wouldn't have happened if it was, if it was just a prop gun. I would actually say that the audience experience of watching four hours of Shakespeare every night for like two weeks of previews and feeling that audience react in a different way each time and, and, and really, and the, and the actors play. I mean, they really played around on stage and as someone that's, yeah, like I said, seen it so many times, it was mm. always exciting to see what certain people were going to do, what, when someone was just going to randomly start singing and, and, how that was going to affect the other actors and um yeah that's that's the thing i miss most i think it's just the madness the madness the sheer madness there's nothing better as an audience member as a designer as well than a sick quick change just Mm -hmm. like you see someone leave the stage and they come straight back on a whole different thing or when or and the sets changed as well and also as a designer when it's your show all you're sat there thinking is Okay, and now the wig's coming off, and now the shoe's coming off, yeah. and then three, two, one, here they come, boom. And when it happens, you're like, ugh. 
this is a really cheeky question. Have you ever been sat in an audience and you've overheard someone say how good the set is? Yeah, I have. I'm not sure how to respond to that without sounding like incredibly boastful. But no, yeah, no, no, go for it. I've set you up for it, so it's not a boast. It's a you know, <laughs> you're just answering a question. <laughs> yeah, it's very. It's it's a really nice feeling. It's a really nice feeling, especially on the ones that you're super proud of. You know, obviously, mm. I'm, I'm proud of all my children, but there are some shows where you go. I did a show at the Royal Court last year, The End of History by Jack Thorne. There was a bit in Act 3 where we saw the garden that the mother has been cultivating for, for a long, you know, throughout the, the 20 years that the play has been existing. So we see this garden that she's been talking about. And I just went all like a kind of Alice in Wonderland style. We had these gorgeous big fake poppies and sunflowers and... And like literally every lunch break during tech, I would just be like, I'm off to do some gardening. And I would sit there and like plait together this weird tapestry of, of flowers. And the first time we did it, there was an audible gasp from the audience. And I literally, I mean, I almost just got up and like, I'm okay, <laughs> I can't cope anymore. That felt so good. Um, I'm retiring on a high. <laughs> I'm retiring now. Uh, whatever happened to that designer? No, Um, because yeah, because you forget that. I think there are some moments when you're there, you're working on the tapestry of that that garden. You actually forget that the audience are going to see it anew because you're Mm. just in it trying to make it as as gorgeous as possible. And of course, we're always aware of the audience. Of course, we are. But sometimes you just forget, or, or, or you you get desensitized to things that you've made because you've made them. So they're, you yeah. know, proper shit. And then someone else sees them and they, they like it. And that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing Memoirs of an Asian Football Casual. There's a bit in that where the, like, the entire lighting rig just sort of comes down. Or like it's almost like stadium foot, uh, foot what do they call them in stadiums? It's not footlights, yeah, is it? Floodlights. 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 <laughs> thank you floodlights um it was sort of like comes down and i remember watching that and i had no idea that was coming but the just watching the audience reactions and also we did it in traverse so you were looking yeah, at yeah. the audience so you really got to see the full the full fear in their eyes when that yeah i just I saw somebody directly opposite me just go <gasps> it was like <laughs> were you there the night that the guy showed up in the exact same the exact same costume that that um, Harit was wearing an active, like a, a, no, a yellow wow. zucchini tracksuit and he sat in the front row. And so then Harit came out after the interval in exactly the same costume that we bought for him and literally just went straight over to this guy, sat down with him, shook his hand. The audience thought that he must be some kind of plant. But it was just, you know, and I was just sat there like, well, I'm glad we bought that. I'm glad we went for the yellow one and not the green one. <laughs> So the last thing that, that we do as part of the podcast is we get our guests to talk about a charity or a cause or a venue even that they want to highlight and promote that listeners can perhaps donate some money to if they've got it. I would say definitely check out what we're doing on Scene Change, if only because it's been run by designers, so it looks lovely. <laughs> I mean, all of our content is gorgeous, if nothing else. We do have a GoFundMe. We are hoping to do more big actions like the taping, we're also hoping to, yeah, do some other very fun stuff that's currently top secret, but that we have in the pipeline. And it's really important right now to to think about, I, I know that we're all struggling and as freelancers, we're all in really tricky positions. Looking into the future, it feels like we're heading in the direction of a lot of one actor or two actor shows in a black box 
very well directed. And so I would just like to, yeah, just make sure that we're all aware of how brilliant design is and how much we miss design and how much we need it to come back and we need to support designers as freelancers as well because we make up quite a big part of the industry and we do as i said before quite a lot of the heavy lifting and um, it would just be such a shame if we end up losing loads of amazing young designers that we need to be championing because of covid and corona and 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 it ends up just being the top dogs doing the same top dog stuff we need to make sure and that's what Scene Change is about. And also White Card Collective, who I'm not a part of, but I'm a huge fan of their work. Again, it's the same thing. It's about making sure that we're still finding these avenues for designers to get into theatres, because now more than ever, the doors are just being shut to them. And that's really, really scary. Really scary. Grace, thank you so much for joining us. You, you have been absolutely fab. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never drinking coffee again. Thank you so no, much. No, you're amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> bye. Thank you for listening to Missing an Audience, hosted by Jake Leonard. With music by Dave Morris, publicity design by Ben Hollands, and voiceover by Rebecca Klee. We'd love to hear your favourite audience experiences and how COVID-19 has affected you. So feel free to get in touch with us on Twitter at MissingAnAord. If you want to donate or find out more about the charities our guest was talking about, you can find the links in the description below. In the meantime, Keep safe, keep well, and be kind. Next time, we're joined by Offie Award-winning lighting designer, Jessica Hung-Han Yan. In lighting, and, well, the whole of the creative team, you're also creating an environment that influences an audience's emotional response without them necessarily realising you're doing that. If we want to make this like a really, like, really cold, quite... Um, hard scene and you can do that like obviously with the text and with the actors on stage but we can really play with pace because it's also that thing about like humans and what we take in and how we perceive things and also the fact that you know you can come from all walks of life you, you can also come together and watch a piece of theatre or, or like a movie or mm. you know an art piece and feel the same emotion or have the same experience mm. <laughs>